I'm not sure on the exact number of people that are in, in Mexico for the missions trip, uh, but keep them in, in your prayers today uh, as they will be making their way uh, back, back home uh, this afternoon. So I want to just pray for, for their safe travels and just for, for God's will to be done. And um, so uh, we have some announcements that we want to share with you uh, before we uh, get into today's message. Um, as mentioned last week, we have some, some ministry opportunities. Um, you know, we always have ministry opportunities here at the church. And, you know, it, it's a blessing to, to serve God. It's a blessing to serve his people. And um, I, I just want to encourage you, if you're not uh, involved, if you're not plugged in, uh, serving God in any way, just something to pray about. Um, as you can see on the screen behind me, there's, there's plenty of opportunities there. I think one area that we really won't need uh, help uh, as far as our focus uh, would be the cleaning crew and the Wednesday evening children's ministry. Um, so if, if this is something that you sense God is, is leading you and guiding you to, I just go to the back table today, the information table there. You can get um, any, any details uh, as necessary. So uh, we also have our foundations uh, classes that are coming up February 6th, 13th, and uh, 26th. These are held uh, on Sunday following our services. And so we, we do this every few months for those of you that are new or for those of you have, who have yet to uh, go through these classes. Um, it's essentially a three-week series that goes over uh, our story here at Refuge, our mission. Uh, it goes through our ministries in detail as well as our statement of faith, um, what we believe and why, and that's important. Um, completion of the foundation classes is a requirement if you want to uh, consider serving uh, here at the church. Uh, so we can sign up at the information table um, as well uh, as we can uh, prepare uh, for that. Um, coming up on next Sunday, we have a time where we can just come together for a night of worship. That Sunday, uh, January 16th at 6.30 p.m., um, we just invite you all out to join us as we kick off um, our week of prayer and fasting. Um, there will be child care that will be available and that will be provided for uh, kids uh, in the second grade or kids through second grade. Um, and so that will lead into our week of uh, prayer and fasting this, this night of worship, Sunday night, and then continuing Monday and through the rest of the week, through Saturday the 24th. Uh, we want to invite you to come out and join us uh, as we just come together as a body, come together as the church uh, to, to really uh, lift up the uh, prayer needs, prayer needs for the church. Uh, pray for uh, our nation, our families, just all that is going on uh, in, in the world around us. We could certainly devote uh, some time uh, to prayer. If this is something that uh, you've never been a part of, uh, we, we want to invite you. We want to uh, encourage you uh, to join us. Um, it's just, it's really a blessing uh, to see how the Lord works in and through this time. Every night we kick off uh, the evening with just a, a, a time of worship, and then we uh, go into uh, a time of devotion. There's going to be uh, several individuals up here just sharing from the Word of God each night, and then 
uh, we go into a time of prayer. And then we'll conclude on Saturday evening with uh, just a time of coming together uh, again for more worship. And then we really just devote that evening to, to prayer. Uh, we bring up, uh, we invite families, individuals uh, to come up and just, uh, we can pray over you um, and just lift those things up to the Lord. So another uh, thing that we have uh, continuing are the monthly uh, prayer, uh, prayer meetings. And so this Saturday on January 15th at 8 o'clock a.m., here at the church, you ladies, we want to just encourage you uh, to come join. Uh, come. Prayer is essential. Prayer is uh, necessary in the life of a believer. And, um, you know, encourage you in your own prayer lives. Uh, you know, the Bible, I mean, Jesus says that we're to pray without ceasing, right? And, um, you know, oftentimes we're faced with challenges in our day-to-day -day, uh, just uh, activities and so we just want to encourage you to come out, and this is just an opportunity for you to uh, be with other ladies and, uh, and lift each other's needs up and lift up the needs of the church as well as all that is going on around us as well. So, um, and lastly, uh, we want to just announce that the Men's Bible Fellowship, the Legacy Men's uh, Bible Fellowship, is uh, going to be jumping back into... Uh, back into the studies again and this year we're going to be going through first and second Thessalonians the uh, title as you can see there right in back of me is hope for a hopeless world and so we're looking forward to getting those uh, studies kicked off once again uh, Monday January 24th at 6 p.m. guys be here be here at the church that's going to kick off our event and then every other Monday we are going to be meeting in our groups. And so uh, I, I pray that all of you guys would uh, just find the opportunity to, to get signed up and to get plugged into those studies. Uh, being a part of the Men's Bible Fellowship has been just a blessing for me. And it's just uh, an honor to be able to just rub shoulders with, with all you guys and be able to come together and encourage one another and go through God's word. So I look forward to uh, what God is going to do through that study. We have signed ups today. Uh, at the info table, the cost is $15. So guys, I encourage you, get signed up. Um, so as mentioned today, we have a guest speaker. We are joined by Pastor Frank Sanchez and his wife, Layla. And we, you know, Pastor Frank has come out here and he's joined us uh, several, on several occasions here on Sunday morning. He's, he's been at our Men's Bible Fellowship. He pastors a Calvary uh, Christian Fellowship there in Colton, and so we are just blessed to have him out. So let's give uh, Pastor Frank a warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. As mentioned, my wife is with me. This is my wife, Leela, here. My wife of almost 25 years. So, very exciting. Nobody ever thought it would last longer than 10, 25 minutes, but that's another story. She's put up with a lot. This morning, I didn't know she was coming with me till just a couple days ago, necessitated a change in my message. It had been the absolute unquestioning submission of Christian wives. But when I found out she was coming, the Spirit told me it was time to change my message. 
and not the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wanting to stay alive. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you all. I'd like to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jude. Book of Jude, we'll be reading a little bit. I'd like to ask you to stand and we'll read from verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Jude 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you on this morning, recognizing, Lord, that you have sovereign assignments for each of our lives. There is no mistake in your kingdom we know, Lord, that this message, for whatever reason, comes to us at this time. And so we trust that, Lord, you are speaking to our hearts with regard to this passage. And we would ask you now to cause us to be aware of that. That our minds would be awakened and alert to the way in which your spirit would speak to us this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to sit under the authority of your word knowing that it alone has the power to edify, to grow us, Lord, to cause us to be more like your Son. So we pray that you would accomplish these goals as we cooperate with your Holy Spirit this morning. We ask that you would do more than we can ask or imagine, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody agreeing, saying, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we are examining the end of this powerful book, which was born out of love, for the church and conviction for her faith. Jude is not an apostle, but a believer living at the end of an era. With the exception of the apostle John, every other Christ-appointed apostle has been martyred for their faith, and John will soon pass from the earth, making that particular void complete. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, was compelled to write the church, to call them to arms, to expose them to a danger that persisted right before their very eyes, as the age of the apostles waned. After his introduction, Jude wrote of the presence of false teachers. In verses 2 through 11, he calls the faithful to stand and to contend for the faith that these false teachers hoped to undermine. In the next section, verses 11 through 16, Jude provided the believers with the profile of false teachers. 
He wrote about their false foundations and their foolish ways. He didn't have to name names, but wrote of the character that accompanied and marks each one for all time, his and ours. This leads us to Jude's final section and the question that we are asking today. With such a pervasive and insidious attack on Christianity, what can a Christian do to maintain a faithful posture? How can you and I remain immune to the onslaught of false teaching? If it was difficult while the apostles lived, how much more difficult is it today? Let us proceed to uncover Jude's answer as he writes of the protection of God's saints. And this section is going to provide us with four points of protection for believers in all times. You and I just need to take a look. In this case, in the case of our first point, Jude calls us to look backward. Take a look at verse 17 again with me. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. If we will be immune to the persuasion of false prophets, we must remember that their presence was predicted. Jude commands his readers to recollect the apostles' warnings. Truly, when one looks at the entire corpus of the New Testament, one will find warnings regarding false teachers within every book. A time would fail us for me to examine every instance with you, but I'd offer a few passages to you that make the point quite clearly. On your own today, I'd have you have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 2. You might also consult Acts 15, Acts 20, and the entire book of Galatians. You've got a lot of reading to do before football starts today. And after Jude writes his epistle, the Apostle John will also pen 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 23, and 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6. Essentially, in every decade after Christ's ascension in the first century, the church had fresh warnings against heresy. Now consider this. The fact that the false exists proves the reality of the truth. Imitation demands a known counterpart. We cannot have genuine imitation crab meat without having crab meat. The fact that there are so many false teachers proves that the truth exists. For example, how many of you have a $200 bill in your possession? Well, you can't have a $200 bill. None exist. Nobody will try to fool you with a $200 bill. The fact that false exists proves that the true has come. Now, notice that Jude doesn't distinguish them with a title. He doesn't call them reverend or 
most holy one, teacher is too noble a title for these men. The last days, those which span the time between the ascension of Christ and his return, will be filled with those that Jude calls mockers. Men who deride the faith, who jeer at the ideas of holiness. They're not guided by godly wisdom or concern for greater truth. They are ruled by ungodly desires and their senses. They don't create harmony or promote unity. They cause division. They separate the godly from one another, meaning that their brand of religious adherence creates tears of spirituality. They present some form of knowledge whereby one cooperative group is more enlightened, closer to God than the other. And they seduce one into thinking that they are more spiritual than another. And the problem is, they don't have the Spirit. They're not endorsed by the Spirit. Neither will he ever be found through their fallacious teachings. But they will continue. And they will succeed. If you and I will be immune from their attempts, we have to look backward and remember, recognize God and his apostles said it would be this way. Jude continues, after we've looked backward, he continues by telling his audience to look inward. Take a look at verse 20. But you, beloved... Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Observe the content of verse 19 again. These false teachers were, did you notice, sensual persons who caused divisions not having the Spirit. They are led by their senses. This is why they need soft keyboard music playing in the background when they share the word. Or this is why they need smoke machines during their worship service. They need to create sensation. They need to create a mood. They need to cause you to somehow be hypnotized by what's happening in the background while you ignore the content of what is being shared. As long as you feel like it's spiritual, it must be. But you, beloved, notice the contrast. You and I as believers are to be the contrast to the false teachers. And they began, those that are true, begin to be so by what they build their lives upon. False teachers build upon sensation, Christians are to build themselves up on their most holy faith. As evidenced by the tense of the verb, a Christian is always building themselves in their faith. By the way, that is a very vital part of why we continue to study the Bible. Some of you guys, you saw up there, oh, they're going through Thessalonians. Maybe you thought, oh, I've been through Thessalonians. You haven't been through Thessalonians enough. Trust me, even if you went through Thessalonians before, even if you did a, a crazy verse-by-verse -verse study, and even you produced studies, I promise you, you won't be able to recall any of that when you come back to it. Trust me. 
I have whole books of the Bible that I've taught to my pat to our uh, to our fellowship, and I come back and every now and then I'll listen to those those messages and I'll go, I don't remember saying any of that. I don't remember writing any of that. Sometimes I'm glad I can't remember that I wrote. I wrote that. Sometimes I'm like, what a genius. <laughs> it's very rare that second one happens, but in any event. Point is, that's why we continue. That's why we continue to study, why we continue to put ourselves under the Word of God. It's never just another study. It's always time to be building our faith. You begin in this world. Notice he says, you're building on your faith. We begin with a faith foundation. We continue and grow in faith. You, as a Christian, die in faith, and then our faith turns to sight. When we look upon Jesus, faith is no longer necessary. Upon this rock in space, you and I are never excused from the exercise of our faith. Notice that Jude calls our faith most holy to him and to all who are genuine Christians. Our faith is more than a collection of trivial niceties or spiritual mysteries. We consider our faith a sacred trust given to us by the Lord. It's precious to us, and more so as we test it against the circumstances that we face. Ask anybody who's gone through a very difficult time in their lives, ask them when they've tested the Lord, they've tested the faith that they've believed. How many of them know after that's after they've gone through it and they've survived, how many of them know my faith held up? My faith stood and caused me to stand, to not be afraid when I should have been afraid, to not be worried when anyone else would have been. Like a home builder, we are to work toward erecting a fully functional home in our heart where our faith can find full expression. As our faith grows, our house, our proverbial house grows as well. We build proportionate to the value that we discover. And our lives center around the dictates no longer of our senses, but our faith. Toward that end, let me ask you a question very pointed to every one of you. None of you have to answer out loud or raise your hands. That's not what happens here at church. What disciplines expand your life's capacity for appreciating and expressing faith? What habits are necessary for you personally to continue to grow? Now, on the opposite side of that question, what habits are counterproductive and harmful to your faith? If we will be ones who are immunized from false teaching, we must continually weigh these Questions. There are certain practices that should really go without saying, but in this world, unfortunately, we still have to say them. Our need to study the Bible regularly, to pray fervently, and to evangelize boldly must never be sacrificed. These disciplines are bare essentials, the most necessary to exercise. Now, one would also speak of fellowship with like-minded believers generically, but also specifically. 
There are people who are experiencing what you are experiencing. Seek them out. In this day and age, you hear much of people who are deconstructing from the faith because sometimes they don't get the answers they're searching for at church, but somebody in the body has searched for those questions and they've sought those answers and they found them. You can find them too. Today we have this thing, and maybe some of you have heard of it. It's kind of obscure. It's called Google. Google it. Google. Google your question. Some Christian out there has put out a thoughtful, mindful answer to them. And you'll find fellowship in having seen the end of their struggle as you go through the beginning of yours. This is what the entire church is to devote itself to. You are building yourself personally. And at the same time, the entire you is building themselves. This is a word for every member of the church. And when the church functions as God intends it to, when all, when all of its people are putting their faith first, that group will inhabit a place where a proper home for the faith can be expressed locally. Fervency and vibrancy alone will deter that which is false by itself. But let it never be without the attendance of the Holy Spirit. Did you see this? Jude sees this community praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The phrase is indicative of a dependence that must be recognized. In order to build what will endure, the Spirit's guidance and direction are essential. When you go in prayer, many Christians pray as if they're giving out a laundry list to God. God, I want this. I need that. Help me with this. Help me with that. It's the mature believer who learns to say, God, what's next? What do you want to do now? What am I supposed to pray? How do you want me to pray? What am I about? What am I to be praying for? We must listen to him in prayer and trust that he will actually direct our prayers. I call your mind and attention to your recent studies in the book of Romans. You guys just finished Romans not too long ago, right? Okay, thank you. Good. I, knew, I, watch, I watch the services here, so I know what's going on. I know what you guys have said about me after I've left, too. It's very discouraging. Paul tells the believers, if you'll recall, that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Many times we forcefully believe that we know what part of our spiritual house needs work, but it's the Spirit who knows what needs attention next. That's the positive of prayer in the Spirit, that you would go before the Lord and submit your prayer life and say, Holy Spirit, teach me what I'm to be praying for. What am I, what's, what's the focus of my prayers right now? The negative, as it were, 
is to be sure that his word is not hindered in my life by disobedience. So are we yielding to the Holy Spirit's voice that we hear in Scripture? Are, we, are, there, are there contradictions to the word in my practice that he would put his finger upon? Simple things. Maybe an attitude toward a fellow worker. I hear this a lot. Different Christians who come, we're at church, we're sitting there talking, and, and man, there's just this complaint session about their boss or about some fellow worker that's so ignorant or so whatever or so ungodly or so. And I, I, I always want to say, well, you know, why do you think that, that is the way that it, that is? What were you like before you knew Jesus? All of us seem to forget that. All of us think we were pretty much a prize. Like somehow Jesus said when he got us, finally, a good one. <laughs> As if somehow we were some special saint from the beginning. Newsflash, none of you were and neither was I. But maybe the Lord would just say, hey, you know what? Maybe you need a different perspective about the way you treat your coworker. You would think, maybe God wants me to get rid of all this secular stuff out of my life. Maybe God would just say, you know what? Have a better attitude. Don't need coffee so much as you need me. <laughs> my joy. Some of you totally rejected that word right there. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and let me just say now, the more coffee, the more sanctification. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, glory. <sighs> anyway, I love coffee. Too many Christians are trying to live their Christian life in the power of their flesh. They're simply determined or dogmatic, which always leads to rigidity and pride. As we cultivate a relationship and dependence upon the Holy Spirit in prayer, when we are listening to him, he continually guides us toward the character that makes our faith attractive. Friends, we cannot build a proper life before God without asking God how it is built. Believers are seeking to build and they're seeking the builder all with the, the, the intention of stoking the fire of God's love within our hearts. This is Jude's command. Listen to it. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Our knowledge of the word, our relationship to his Holy Spirit is meant to yield a greater love connection to our God. Listen. Listen to this. Understand this. The fact that we have to be told to do any of these things points to the reality that they are not simply naturally or even supernaturally occurring events. You might think it's easy to love God, but not when you love yourself so much. I remember hearing a lady once say, after she sang Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All at one of our chapels, which we were like, wait a minute, the greatest love is to learn to love yourself? Don't you already do that? We already know how to love ourselves. That's the problem. 
That's why we don't keep ourselves in the love of God. There are some Christians who carry an attitude that cannot be justified scripturally. Their experience of superheated affection for God is relegated to some long-distant past. When you ask them to review their current status, they're often at a loss to provide a single example. Listen, try that with your spouse. Tell me you love your spouse. Oh, well, back in the 80s. See how that flies with them. See how they feel about that. Yeah, back in the 80s, we did this. How many of you would just be thrilled to hear your husband or your wife say that? Oh, back in the 80s, I, I love to do this with them. And I love that about them and whatever. Yeah, you know what? It's 2022. <laughs> that was a long time ago. My favorite, one of my favorite decades, but still a long while ago. The tenses of these verbs point to the necessity to continue to strive forward, to work against the natural fleshly apathy that would consume our spiritual zeal. It's this simple, friends. If you're not growing spiritually, you are experiencing atrophy. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. It is your responsibility daily to discover what it means to keep yourself in the love of God. To keep means to watch over, to observe carefully. Ask yourself now, am I in the love of God now? And what does that mean for us? Let me explain it to you as best as I know how. To keep myself in the love of God first means to enjoy and appreciate his full love toward me. You and I, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are not anything less than full sons and daughters of the king of the universe. We are to be watchful that our faith exercise begins there. Understand cults exist because truth-loving individuals stray from their already fully loved position. They thrive because people seek to please God by their own performance. A true Christian is not trying to earn God's favor with works or manipulate his actions as if he were a pagan deity and we were his mindless adherents. He is our father already. He's our father in heaven and we are his blood-bought children now. Our lives as Christians are a simple response to that fact that he loves us thoroughly, completely, ultimately. Doesn't that change the way you think about your walk with the Lord? You're not doing anything to make him love you more. He can't love you more. He already loves you at the fullest extent. You can be confident of that. He's already demonstrated his love to you in providing his son. He can't give you any more to show you that. If he never did anything else for you in the entirety of all of eternity, he's already loved you fully, completely, wholly. You and I must watch out, beware of motivation that is other than an established love relationship. Second, we must operate out from the love of God. 
The love of God, the love that he has for the world, should be the love that's emanating from our lives. Christianity is his love expressed out through his church to the world. God extends love to all through us. It's unconditional in that it can be any person. Any person can be the object of his love. God's love extends to those, believe it or not, that we differ with politically or who we wouldn't commit to socially. I know that is strange for some of you. Some of you believe that only elephants will be in heaven. There's going to be some donkeys there too. And both are going to be surprised to see the other. The love that God has, the genuine Christian possesses the love that God has for the world. Without that kind of love operating through us, not only would we not have been lost ourselves, but we have no true legitimate claim to Christ without it. You guys remember the old Calvary song, don't you? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. You remember that song, right? Some of us older Calvary saints. Beloved, let us love one another. The ladies go, love one another. It's always so lovely to hear that. Not when a man does it. It's disturbing when a man does it. For love is of God, and everyone who is born loves God and knows God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Finally, keeping myself in the love of God means that I'm consistently seeking to refresh and relate my love to God. I'm consistently looking for ways to increase my love for him. And I ask you candidly, right here, right now, right where you're sitting, are you keeping yourself in the love of God? Are you operating from his love toward others? Are you reminding yourself that his love toward you is unchanging? Is your love for him more alive today than it was on the day that you first met him? Jude challenges us to watch, set a watch over our hearts and minds to ensure that these are present realities. Is that not how love continues to be between two individuals? Is that not what happens between a married couple that you guys have to go away and experience things together and enjoy things together and find new ways to commit and, and converse with one another? How could that be different with God, right? I'm building my life and participating with my church to see a place where faith will grow. And I'm growing my relationship with the Holy Spirit and keeping myself in his love. Why? Why are we doing this? Because of what I anticipate will happen soon. A healthy Christian immunity is built upon looking for the full expression of God's mercy toward his believers in salvation. The word looking here 
especially when it is strengthened by the present tense, paints a picture of a person stretching out their neck toward the horizon. Now, let me give you an illustration of this. Back in the day when I used to work at Calvary Chapel of Redlands, which is now the packing house in Redlands, I was a pastor there till 2005, and then they kicked me out of the country. <laughs> oh, we went to Spain to minister there. But I remember there was a brother who used to take me out to lunch. He was a fire captain from, I think, Duarte. He went to our church, and we would go to lunch, and he would invite me, and at the time, we would go to a place called Spunky Steer. Anyone heard of Spunky Steer? A couple of you. Oh, yeah. We got yeah, a guy back there enthusiastically. <laughs> Boom, baby, right here. I'm the guy. Spunky. It went out of business many years ago. There's one in Marino Valley. I'll talk to you about it later. <clears throat> in any event, this, this brother would always treat me to a bacon-wrapped filet, a lunch filet. I'd never had such a thing. But bacon, steak, he, this man knew how to get to my heart. <laughs> and so he would invite me. Well, on these days, I wouldn't eat anything for breakfast because, you know, bacon-wrapped filet. So he was coming to pick me up, and I remember he was a little late, and I was getting a little hungry, moving into hangry even. My sanctification was low. And I remember I would stand at the door. We had this, this you know, door. I'd kind of sit there like this. You know, a few minutes went by, I'd, I'd kind of move out to the stairs. A few minutes later, I'd move out to the street, and my neck would be out like this, looking down the road as far as possible, <laughs> only to discover I had, I had written down the wrong day. <laughs> no bacon wrap filet for me. But that's how, we're to, that's how we're to be with the return of Jesus. Our necks out like this, looking for his return, waiting for him to come, knowing that he's just around the corner and we want to see it at the earliest possible minute. Our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith, who has promised to return, that he might take us to be with him forever. And if you're watching anything in the news, you know that now is closer than it's ever been. Those who have believed already have eternal life in principle. You and I are waiting for it to be our practice. Christians that are immune to the effects of false teaching are not accepting the lame, earth-bound substitute. They are looking for the one who will bring eternal life. So, an immunized believer looks backward, recognizes the dangers that they face. They were predicted. He looks inward, seeking to invest himself in that which increases his faith, hope, and love. Third, he looks outward to be a resource to those around him. Take a look at verse 22. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Verse 22 is a bit difficult to understand in, in the New King James Version. Have a listen to its rendering. 
in a few other versions in the NASB, and have mercy on some who are doubting in the NLT, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. You and I are called the personal vigilance when it comes to dealing with our own exercise of faith. At the same time, we're called to express mercy to those around us who are struggling with theirs. We are not relieved of duty when it comes to those that we fellowship with. We are set together sovereignly that we might look out for one another and not all are equally convinced. You all walk in through the same door. You listen to the same preaching. You have Bibles in your hands. But not all of you are in the same spot. These that Jude is talking about are hesitant, not yet fully committed to the entire body of Christian teaching. These require our sympathy and our empathy because we realize it takes time to raise and sanctify a saint. We sympathize, realizing that it's difficult to let go of habits and restructure relationships. When we first came to the Lord, how many of us kept, and you name it, you fill in the blank. We kept doing this sin because it was a habit. We kept smoking, drinking, going to these places that we shouldn't have been. We kept being involved in relationships that were destructive. That's how we were. So we sympathize. And we empathize because we know what it took to get us out of that. We know it took time. We know it took love. We know it took somebody coming alongside of us patiently and going, hey, dude, or dudette. Contrary to popular belief, the church is largely the safe space that a wavering person should come to and feel supported in. It's not a lonely road that one travels in faith. If you're unsure about anything that's being said this morning, I do not blame you. I wouldn't trust me as far as I could throw me. And that's not very far, especially after the holidays. You may be unsure of what's being said all the time. Do I really believe that? It might take you time to really be convinced. But rest assured, you're not alone. The most mature saints are the ones who have rigorously climbed above and conquered their questions, not by ignoring them, pretending they're not real, but by studying and praying their way through them, seeking counsel from other mature believers who have gone through the same thing. If the church is to be a place where herd immunity against error is grown, it must be a place where compassion is offered to those that are struggling. And I hope some of you mature saints are looking toward those people. Come alongside of them. Bless them. You take them to lunch. Go get them a bacon wrap filet. If they're vegan, pray for their salvation. But in any event, you want to be somebody who looks out for those people and say, hey, can I, can I please? Listen, I look, it looks like you're struggling. It looks, you know, you know, you're shared with me. That I want to be there with you. Be that person. At the same time, 
the church has to look to those who are wavering and have compassion. But at the same time, it must protect itself from those that intend to use their spiritual life as a covering for their own sin. Look at that. But others save with fear. There are some in the church who pay lip service to wanting help, but are not willing to do what it takes to actually be helped. Our best weapon here is to pray the Lord would expose their sin to them. These know what their faith says. They've even agreed. But their flesh keeps calling them away. You and I are commanded to save them as much as we are commanded to extend compassion on the undecided. That's our duty in the law of love. In this case, though, context demands we consider the word save not as a matter of, of, not as a matter of coming to the Lord in regeneration, but as rescue. You and I are like first responders in Christ. We are to rescue those who have come under the influence of the world. We are to show mercy by extending a hand of rescue, but we had better respect our proximity to the fire. Jude, I believe, is giving us a shorthand illustration of what the Apostle writes, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6, verse 1. Listen to this. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That word restore means to take and reset a bone. That's a painful work, isn't it? But the word consider also has in the mind the goal that our life is attending to. I have to stick to the goal and the pattern of life that makes that goal a possibility. Jude's telling us that we need to be willing to rescue a person, but never at the expense of our own walk. Now, let me, let me give you an example. Let's say you've come out of a life of alcoholism. You had a problem with it it's probably not your call to go to the bar to rescue your brother. You probably shouldn't be the one to do that if you yourself are going to be the one who ends up sitting with the guy at the bar. We have a lady in our church, an uh, older lady, um, a widow and lovely, lovely woman who goes to raves not to go to party. <laughs> She's not there to, you know, get high or anything. She's a rave mom. She goes and she gives hugs to kids who are in the middle of their drug-induced stupor. They provide warm blankets, breakfast. I mean, this ministry is really sweet and wonderful. They invited us to come one time just to see it out here at the Orange Show. By the way, just down the street, the Orange Show, you know how many kids were at that rave? This particular rave, not many, but on a regular, ba a regular basis, 80,000 kids. 80,000 kids. So she's out there with a bunch of other ladies like herself. They make bra uh, bracelets with John 3.16 on them. 
and whatever else. And they give them, they have this whole, it's a culture thing. I don't get it. I made some bracelets and whatever else, but I don't understand what they, they do this special thing or whatever. It's like a secret handshake. But at these places, these girls are all dressed, well, they're hardly dressed. That's not really the place for a man to be. So when I went, I stayed in the RV and I made sandwiches for the ladies. That's where it was safe for me to be. Do you understand? When you're a Christian, you guard your life with him. And you don't go near anything that could compromise the goal of your life. Save with fear. We're snatching brothers and sisters from the fire. The same word in Greek gives us the concept of the spontaneous rapture that you and I are waiting for. And may it happen soon. This word's instructive. You and I are not to stand around and kind of like get coffee at the rave and kind of walk, look around and wait and hold on and endlessly hope that the person's going to figure it out. We're there to grab someone and go. We don't even want to be associated with the smell of fear. Now, this is a really gross... If you had a bunch of junior high kids in here, we'd have a lot of fun with this. In the Greek language, there are two types of clothing. The outer clothing and the inner clothing. The garment here that's referred to would have been their underwear. Their underwear is soiled, corrupted by what they have, what they have exposed themselves to. Now, I have an illustration for this. My wife and I, we, we have four children. Uh, we call them uh, living, breathing, trial one, living, breathing, trial two, on through four. No, I'm kidding. They have names. <laughs> They're teens now, so, you know. But when they were tiny, they were so small, you would hold that baby so close you would just, they would, you would hold them so close, they were almost behind you. You ever seen that? A new mom? You smell them, you, you just put your nose up in them all over the place. They smell so fresh and clean. And then, and then they go and have a Mount Vesuvius eruption <laughs> that goes out of their diaper, up into their hair, and you, you, you smell something a little off. And then as you get closer, you realize. Now, the way you hold a baby at that moment is quite different. And I've seen it. You see the way that I hold my baby at the beginning. And then when this eruption happens, this is what's going on. <laughs> you're just like, you're taking them to a hose. The nearest, wherever the hose is, you're going to hose them down. Because this is like, you just want to be as far away from po as possible. Yeah, I don't know how you ladies do it. Whenever I had to change a diaper, it was a gag fest. I just have zero, zero superpower. And that's my kryptonite right there, a baby's diaper. I just couldn't take it. My wife always is like changing diapers, singing songs. I'm in the, oh, you know, it was awful, awful. I'm going to keep myself at arm's length.
from those that flirt with and seek to incorporate worldly philosophy, liberal theology into their faith, one's delivered. They're walking on a dangerous precipice, and God sees it as the kind of corruption that looks like a Mount Vesuvius eruption of diaper filth. They think they're being enlightened. They think they're growing. They think they found the secret knowledge. What they found is thoroughly corrupting and disgusting. That's God's view of it. And they're unaware of the filth that they're steeping in. So you and I must do the best to rescue them without similar defilement. You and I aren't supposed to expose ourselves to their teachers or to find everything that they have learned in their new way of expressing faith. We're to train ourselves in the truth, and the truth helps us distinguish error. My wife used to be a bank teller for Bank of America, and she tells me a story that they used to train them this way, by putting them in a room, letting them count money, handle it, Today, it's, I don't know how they do it today. Everybody's just putting up their phone and depositing checks. That's a great way to do things these days. But back in the day, she's handling all this money, and every now and then they would throw in a fake, and she would know by the feel. I don't need to spend a lot of time with fake money. I need to spend all my time with truth. You understand? What's going to happen if I start listening to so-and-so <clears throat> and getting all their arguments. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to be drawn in, right? And before I know it, I could be as filthy as them. Then I need to be rescued. That's what Jude is telling them. Save them with fear. Respect the truth. And know the truth. And you'll be able to help someone come out of it. So, we're... Commanded, exhorted to look backward, recognize the dangers that we are seeing are predicted. If we're going to be immune, we got to remember, this is how Fritz said it would be. Those of you that remember the old weatherman. We're commanded to look inward, to make sure that we are growing in faith, hope, and love. Jude reminds us that we're to look outward and be concerned with those who are struggling and cautious in extending a hand to those that are flirting with darkness. With all of that, Jude leads us to our ultimate source of health. And that leads to us looking forward. Look backward, look inward, look outward, look forward. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You and I miss everything if we miss this. If all we do is look back in and around, we're going to be depressed and stressed. All the time. Our vision of him brings it all together. This section is rightfully its own. Most scholars call this the most beautiful of the doxologies in the New Testament. And like it, it's centered on who he is and what he does. Now to him. 
all of this life that we share. Every bit of hope that we have is made possible by Him. We worship Him because He is able, powerful, dynamic at keeping us from stumbling. He guards, attends, keeps watch over us with military precision, ensuring that we do not fall permanently. This isn't a promise of infallibility or sinless perfection. That's not going to happen in your life. Go ahead, try it. Try to make it between right now and five minutes from now without sinning. You guys have all already sinned by thinking you actually possibly could. That's your pride. Repent. Listen to the declaration of a man who knew a little bit about stumbling. King Solomon. Listen to what he said. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. In other words, their fall will be their end, but not for the righteous. How many times is too many? I hear you. Some might be thinking, but I've fallen more than seven. I've fallen at least eight. And that's just this morning. The distinctions are certainly not easy to make on this side of heaven. What we do know is this. God is a greater savior than we are sinners. Isn't that good to know? He will keep us from stumbling in a final and full way. That's Jude's hope in the world. True believers will be kept. I was impressed by this as I taught last week. We are coming to the end of Mark in our church. where We just finished Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse. I won't tell you much about it because I know you're in the book of Mark now. But there's one verse that blows my mind in there. In the great tribulation, God says there's going to be such deception. It'd be so good that if possible, even the elect would be deceived. If possible. Even in the great tribulation. Folks, he's able to keep you and I from stumbling. That's Jude's hope on earth. Isn't it your hope? Aren't you glad that he's able to keep you from stumbling? He has the power to keep you from stumbling? That doesn't seem to be moving any of you. (laughs) Thank you for that token amen. But what's Jude's hope in heaven? The same God who is able to keep you from stumbling on earth will be able to present you faultless in heaven. If we knew this word, it would sound like this. The one who's able to keep you from stumbling is the same who is able to keep you standing. (laughs) You and I one day will be untouchably blameless in the presence of God. What a vision to see. When you and I cross into the presence of the Lord's glory, what do you think it's going to be like? If you're like me, and some of you are not as twisted as I am, Tom is, but no, but hardly anyone else. You think, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in and I'm going to kind of hide in the corner because I, I know I got in, and then, you know, I got in on a clerical error. If someone actually looked at the books, 
they're going to kick me out of here real quick if they find me. So I'm going straight to the back, and I'm going to hide behind a bunch of people <laughs> to be sure, right? And that's the way I think. That's not what this verse says. We won't be cowering, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Jude tells us there we won't be standing there without any fear. There won't be a moment of fear. We're going to be standing there in the joy of the Trinity, joyful ourselves at the glory of the finished work that he has always known would be the truth, but that we only had hope of. When we stand there, the promise will be fulfilled and the joy will be palatable. We will be comfortable in the face of God's glory. Has that ever happened on earth? Have you ever, when an angel shows up, what happens? People fall over with fear. When God speaks to Israel, they're like, don't let him speak to us. Let him speak to you and you tell us, Moses. But when we're there, we're going to be as comfortable as if we were coming into our own living room. You're going to walk in and you're going to belong there. No more veils. No more separation. No more mystery. No more faith. And no more sin to mar our view. Just pure unadulterated, unfiltered, unending joy. <laughs> That's why Jude calls us to recognize God, our Savior. We weren't wise. We couldn't have concocted a plan to save ourselves. Our plan is just like the world's plans. I'm just going to outweigh my, good, my bad works with my good works. I'll just perform my way to heaven what fools. He would not have found God without his first revealing himself. No, he alone is wise. You wouldn't rob him of his glory, the weight of his reality. Would you step across his majesty? Remember, all you are is the stumbler. He's the one who makes you stand. You don't deserve any of the glory. He alone deserves it. We affirm his majesty, his greatness, his dominion or might and power and authority both now and forever. Listen to the NLT on this one. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. There's no need for re-election. There's no diminishing of capabilities. Jude is telling us that there's never been a diminishing of these absolute qualities in God and there never will be. What he is and has been, he is now and will always be throughout all eternity. Now, does this not cause you to want to see life in a much different way? Ask yourself this, if I will spend eternity with this God who makes the stumbler stand, what would I pay for that now? 
Would it not be the best use of my time and resources to build my faith? Would it not be in my best interest to cultivate a fervent love relationship with this God? Wouldn't it be worth it if I kept investing in my brothers and sisters showing some compassion? The same compassion shown to me. Or even providing the firm hand that I once needed. In light of who he is, is that, is that even worth mentioning? Jude and the Holy Spirit sought fit to remind us of it. Let us go forth and see it lived through us. And let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to hear, Lord, of this certainty. Lord, we're so grateful to you that you give us hope and expectation of reality not a hope that's washed down or watered down, phony and false, but true hope of eternal life. Oh God, thank you so much for who you are. Right now, for those that are here, if you happen to be here and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, today is your day. Jesus lived perfectly. He died vicariously. He rose victoriously. He lives eternally that he might treat you graciously, those who believe. If that's you here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus and you would like to do so today, I'd just like you to slip up your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Nothing weird's going to happen. But we want to call you to believe in Jesus. Is there anyone here like that? All right. Well, for those that are watching online, perhaps there's some there. Let us pray for you now. Father, we ask in Jesus' name for those that would be watching this broadcast, either somewhere remotely right now or maybe sometime in the future, we pray you would call them to yourself. Draw them to yourself. Let them believe upon you and repent. We thank you, Father, that you are the God of salvation, the one who is able to bring us into your kingdom standing. And we thank you, Lord, for these that may be calling upon you now. We love you, Lord. We pray we'd love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.